the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to Conversations with Cynthia. Over the next hour, you'll have the opportunity to listen to Cynthia Hyatt, an internationally recognized therapist and life management expert in private practice with offices in Phoenix and Scottsdale. As a captivating communicator, Cynthia engages, energizes, and inspires her audiences to become all God created them to be. For more information about Cynthia's diverse background, log on to CynthiaHyatt.com. That's C-I-N-T-H-I-A-H-I-E-T-T dot com. Let the next 60 minutes inspire, motivate, and encourage you to become your own best version. And now, here's Cynthia. Well, welcome to Conversations with Cynthia. This is Cynthia Hyatt, and I'm so glad you are tuning in today. I have a great message that I, I really feel like may help many of you. I know it helped me just to write it. And this one is entitled, Why No Peace? Why No Peace? And so we're going to talk today a lot about this idea of peace. And this particular message was inspired um, just, a, just a couple weeks ago because I, I wrote this while I was in Uganda speaking um, at, at a very large church there. And it was, it was a wonderful trip. And God really gave me this message about peace and understanding this idea of why no peace. And so... Here's the word of the Lord, Luke 24, 36. He says, peace be with you. Peace be with you. What a wonderful saying. What a wonderful verse. What a, imagine if, if we were really wanting every time we came up to a person to say, peace be with you, and praying that for that person. We, we see in John 14, 27, he says, peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your heart be troubled. Do not be afraid. I'm going to read that one more time. This is 14, John 14, 27. And Jesus says, Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your heart be troubled. And do not be afraid. We have so many things that we can worry about, so many things, many times, that cause us to fear and be afraid. Things outside of us, things inside of us. So what I want you to think about is this concept, this idea. Worry and peace cannot coexist. And this is kind of the impetus of this message today. Worry and peace cannot coexist. So this is an amazing finding that I'm going to talk to you about. Neuroscientists. This is, this is cutting-edge uh, research now, have discovered this interesting phenomenon about the human brain. It's like an, an on and off switch. It cannot focus on both a positive and a negative feeling at the same time. Very interesting. And so this was a huge discovery. As a result, they also discovered that the brain will always pick the negative before the positive as an unconscious survival mechanism. See, our brains are always trying to help us avoid pain. As a result, it will focus on the problem rather than on a solution as a way to change it and protect against the problem of pain. 
So what our brain is doing is it's focusing on the bad thing, not the good thing, because the bad thing is the one's causing us pain. And so it's really focusing on that a lot, which makes it hard to think of a positive solution when we're focusing on the problem. And so it doesn't mean that, that we're going to be in denial about problems, but understand that this is part of what your brain just unconsciously does. And we have to work um, against that. So we have to be in charge of our thinking. And many times I'm telling clients all day, you decide how you think. You tell your brain what to think. You don't just listen to the thoughts that your brain is telling you and just go with those thoughts. Because your brain is doing many unconscious things. And so it's good that we identify a problem of pain because we don't want to stay in pain. But we don't focus on that. We, we, we say to ourselves, okay, I'm going to now put my trust in God and ask God how I'm to look at this issue of pain. Whatever it is that's causing me pain. So what you have to remember here is that when our brain is focusing on the problem, it can't positively think of a solution. So we all know this infamous verse in Proverbs 23, 7 says, For as a man thinketh within, so he is. This quite simply means that the more I worry about things, people and situations, the more anxious I become, the more my mind finds to worry about. And it's a spiral. Now, the reason that this is so powerful is that what they are finding through different PET scans is that not only does it change the, the, the wiring of our brain, the more we worry, the more neural nets we create to worry. What they're actually finding is it actually damages the brain. That's really serious. This is why when we look in the Bible, how many times God is telling us, do not worry, do not be afraid, do not be frightened, do not be terrified, because he understands how he made us. He understands that it is damaging to the, to the design that he has created. So the what in this passage, we're going to read uh, Matthew chapter 6, 25 through 34, in relation to worry and anxiety. And so the what is, in quotations, in this passage is all that God does and will do, and what if becomes the striving and the worrying about tomorrow and what it holds. So what we're teaching people when they're dealing with anxiety is that it's the what if that is the thing that creates a lot of the worry and anxiety. The what is no matter how bad the what is is, is far more manageable than the what if. So in Matthew chapter 6, verses 25 through 34, and I'm going to read out of the Message Bible because it just is very, very powerful. He says, if you decide for God, living a life of God worship, it follows you, all that follows you, don't fuss about what's on the table at mealtimes or whether the clothes in your closet are in fashion. There is far more to your life than the food you put in your stomach more to your outer appearance than the clothes you hang on your body. Look at the birds, free and unfettered, not tied down to a job description, careless in the care of God. And you count far more to him than birds. So has anyone by fussing in front of the mirror ever gotten taller by so much as an inch? All this time and money wasted on fashion. Do you think it makes that much difference? Instead of looking at the fashions, walk out into the fields, look at the wildflowers. They never primp or shop but have you ever seen color and design quite like it? The 10 best dressed men and women in the country look shabby alongside them. So this is where it gets powerful. Verse 30, he says, if God gives such attention to the appearance of wildflowers, most of which are never even seen, don't you think he'll attend to you? He'll take pride in you. He'll do his best for you. What I'm trying to do here is to get you to relax, to not be so preoccupied with getting so you can respond to God's giving. 
People who don't know God and the way that he works fuss over these things. But you know both God and how he works. Steep your life in God reality, God initiative, God provisions. Don't worry about missing out. You'll find all your everyday human concerns will be met. Give your entire attention to what God is doing right now. Don't get worked up about what may or may not happen tomorrow. God will help you deal with whatever hard things come up when the time comes. So you see how important this is. God is saying, if God gives this much attention to the appearance of wildflowers, then think about what he's trying to do. He's trying to say to us, relax. Don't be so preoccupied with getting. He wants us to respond to what God's giving us. And that this is what he's, he's going to make sure that, that he, we get the attention that we need. And that he's saying to us, give your entire attention to what God is doing right now. That's when we talked a little bit earlier about the what is versus the what if. So give your entire attention to what God is doing right now, the what is. And don't get worked up about what may or may not happen tomorrow. That's the what if. God will help you deal with whatever hard things come when the time, when the time comes. Now, I know this is like, you know, I can say to myself, okay, that's really simple, but it's not easy. It's not. And one of the things that we find about worry is what are we meditating on? So I need to be meditating on positives. I need to be meditating on who God is and not what if is going to happen. So I had, I I hope, I'm going to tell you a little story. And I'm hoping that this kind of, I don't know, it strikes you as it struck me. So last night, as I'm reviewing some of what I've written here, it's time to go feed our cat. And so I, I go to feed the cat. I pull the drawer open. There's this huge, big bag of cat food. And just as I dig that, I, I went, oh, my goodness. This cat doesn't know about provision. He just trusts me to feed him every day. He just knows I will. And so I pull out. There's all this abundance, but he doesn't need the whole bag of cat food for one meal. And he, he doesn't even need to know that the whole bag of cat food exists because he trusts me. This was a perfect example of me with God, that God is saying, I have this whole thing. I have a ton of stuff to portion out throughout your life to give to you. I have abundance to give to you. I'm not going to give it to you all in one time. But you can trust me with all I have for you. And I'm telling you the truth about our cat. He's not even a good cat. <laughs> He's not. He's not this really wonderful, cuddly cat. He's a wild cat. So he always is easily startled and distracted and he thinks everything's out to get him. And he's, he, I mean, he's, he's a darling, beautiful cat, but he's not even a good cat. But guess what? I care for him because he belongs to me. So I will always make sure he has what he needs. And I don't ever want him harmed. And I watch out for him. And so how must God feel about me? I belong to him. He cares about me. Why would he not provide? So I need to be very, very disciplined about the worry in my mind. So I want you to understand that this worry, a, a medical doctor commented this way. He said, it's, it's like sand in the machinery of life. That's what worry is, sand in the machinery of my life. So as we are conquering the physical side of disease, this is what he's saying. As we are conquering the physical side of disease, we are losing the battle on the mental and spiritual side. We know almost everything about life except how to live it. And so another doctor admits, he says, when I find a purely physical cause of death, uh, ca- I'm sorry, cause of disease, says when I find a purely physical cause of disease, I begin to feel like a doctor again because the British Medical Association claims 
this is even this is now that 60 to 80 percent of physical problems are rooted in our thinking. And according to a heart specialist, he says it's not so much of our arteries that are the problem as our attitudes. The effect of worry on the body is well known to all who are involved in treating physical problems. Clearly, worry takes its toll on our physical system. No organ is immune to worry. So you had better stop worrying before your health and effectiveness as a Christian is weakened. This is how serious worry is. This is how serious God takes this concept. And I'll tell you what, I fret. I'm a fretterer. I I do. I can fret. And I have to really practice saying, okay, God, this is your world. This is your universe. I belong to you. And you care for me. And I look back on my, in my past and I see all the ways that God has always come through for me. He has always made sure that I made it through whatever it was. And he's blessed me in ways I couldn't even imagine as well. And so I need to trust him with my tomorrows. They haven't even occurred yet. And I don't even know if they're going to. So I need to live today because the past is over. It's over. It's gone. The future hasn't even arrived. So we're living in the present And that's what we're practicing when we do trust. This is Cynthia Hyatt with Conversations with Cynthia. Thank you for joining me and join me in the next segment while we talk about worry. Welcome back. This is Cynthia Hyatt with Conversations with Cynthia. I'm glad you joined me. And today we are talking about why no peace. Why no peace? What is this issue of peace? Why do, why do we not have peace? We don't have peace in our world, country, in our families, our churches, our businesses, inside ourselves. So we're talking about this concept of peace and the, the effect of worry on humans. And so I was talking about what neuroscientists have discovered in the brain about how the brain works. This is cutting-edge research, and they're saying that they are understanding it's like an on-off switch. And so this means that the brain can't focus on both a positive and a negative feeling at the same time. And so this was a huge discovery because they also discovered that the brain always picks the negative before the positive. And what you want to understand about this is this is a survival skill that the brain is doing. It's, it's focusing on the problem of pain and whatever is creating pain as a way to survive. But every time the brain focuses on the pain and the worry, worrying about the pain, it can't create, be, come up with a creative, positive solution. So we have to be telling our brain how to think, not just letting our brain think for us. Our brain works for us. We don't work for our brains. I, I say this to clients all day. So it's imperative that I thank my brain, thank you for telling me where there's a problem of pain, because if we don't know there's pain, that can lead to a bigger problem. This is what quadriplegics have, or people, any, anyone that's paralyzed, they many times don't know they have any damage to their limbs because they can't feel anything. So it's good that, that we have a pain indicator. But if we then begin to focus only on the pain and worry and fret and become anxious and terrified, afraid, all these types of things, we can't then find a solution. On top of the fact that they're now understanding that not only does worry rewire the brain, the more that I worry, the more neural nets I create, the faster my brain is able to produce worrying thoughts. It gets very, very proficient at worrying. But what happens is as they look at PET scans, they are also seeing that it actually damages the brain. This is how serious God takes this issue of worry. 
And so we talked all about Matthew, uh, Matthew 6, 25 through 34, where God is saying you can't even, you know, the more you fret about your appearance in the mirror as anyone, you know, cause himself to be an inch taller. Or, you know, can you add a single day, a single hour to your life by worrying? So it's imperative that when, when we are working with our mind that we say we're going to look at and focus on what is and not the what if. See, the what is is manageable, even if it's very painful, even if it's very sad, even if it's really stressful. Or in, When we focus on the what is, that helps our brain to be more solution-oriented. When we focus on the what if, we are now entering into worry. We're not going to be able to come up with solutions, and we're going to fret. And that's all we're going to do. We're going to spin, and we're going to end up damaging our brain. And we talked a lot about what doctors are understanding now even more and more, that the British Medical Association is saying that 60 to 80% of a person's physical problem has to do with the way they think and their thoughts. And so it's really important that we take this very, very seriously. So when we are working on not fretting, we are, we are replacing it with trust because worry and peace can't coexist. And peace comes with trust. When people are at peace, they are relaxed. There's a certain level of trust. The more that I trust God, the less I need to worry the more that I actually really trust that he is taking care of me and he's going to take care of me. And my husband says a great saying to me. He says, we prepare, we don't worry. Well, and so many times we don't even know what to prepare for, so we can't worry about that either. That's the what ifs. So I prepare as best as I can because that's just being responsible, but I don't do it as a way to make sure that everything is now going to be perfect and I will experience a life of no pain because I'm so prepared. It's not possible. So what I do is I continue to recognize where there might be pain, what I can do about it, knowing that I can trust God, that he always has a solution, and he's going to help me with this. So I want to tell you a little bit more about this idea of what, what worry does to our brain. So it's important. This is why God is always telling us that we take captive every thought. And so clinicians or practitioners, what we call this, we call this the positivity ratio. And we must maintain the highest level of positivity in order to counteract the effects of negativity on our bodies, our spirits, our souls, and our relationships. I'm going to say that one more time. We must maintain the highest level of positivity in order to counteract the effects of negativity on our bodies, our spirits, our souls, and our relationships. Now, that doesn't mean that we're going to be Pollyanna and deny reality. That's not healthy either. What we're going to do is we're going to continue to practice like what Philippians 4, 4, 6 says. Think on those things that are good, righteous, pure, holy, of good repute. That's what I'm going to discipline my mind to have, have that be the default, that I'm thinking always on good things. And when a bad thing enters, because I have enough positivity, I manage that bad thing better. And so I don't live a life the other way that I'm thinking all the negativity, worrying, fretting hoping at some point that maybe some good thing will happen. Because if you know anyone that worries a lot, a good thing can happen and they can't even take it in. They might even say, yeah, but. Okay, yeah, that's good, but. What if it ends? Or what if it doesn't work out? All these types of things. And so we have to teach our brain how we want it to think. Because the whole idea about this is we found by taking a picture of brain with an MRI scanner and PET scans, that neural changes in the brain happen within one second of a negative thought. That's amazing. That's how quickly your brain responds. You have a negative thought, and it responds within a second. 
And what that does is the amygdala releases dozens of stress-producing hormones and neurotransmitters in one second. And so these brain chemicals immediately interrupt normal functioning of the brain, especially those involved in logic, reasoning, problem-solving. In other words, negative thinking and worry puts you in survival mode. The more you stay focused on the negative words or thoughts, the more you actually damage key structures that regulate your memory, feelings, and emotions. You also may disrupt your sleep, your appetite, and the way your brain regulates happiness, longevity, and health. So I'm going to say some of that again because it's very, very important. MRI scanners find neural changes in your brain happen within one second of a negative thought. And that that amygdala, that's in the the right hemisphere of your brain, it releases dozens of stress-producing hormones and neurotransmitters. And these brain chemicals immediately interrupt normal functioning of the brain, especially those involved in logic, reason, problem-solving. And the more you stay focused on those negative words and thoughts, the more you actually damage key structures that regulate your memory, feelings, and emotions. And you disrupt sleep, appetite, and the way your brain regulates happiness, which means the way your brain is even able to experience happiness and longevity and health. So I tell you this only to show you why God so adamantly says, do not worry. He really knows what he's talking about. It really harms us and lowers our effectiveness. So the science of the mind is now catching up to the Bible and proving what God has been telling us all along. This means we don't even need faith to believe the truth about what God is saying regarding the issue of worry. Isn't that amazing? That See, the neuros- neuroscience is now catching up with the Bible and proving what God has been saying to us all along. So this means we don't even need faith to believe the truth. But we do need to take it seriously and say, you know what, God, I have no reason now anymore to worry. I really need to practice the positivity ratio. And I'm telling you the truth. When I, when I told you earlier, I can fret. So we're going to work on this together. This is Cynthia Hyatt with Conversations with Cynthia. Join me in the next segment as we really look at this issue of peace. Welcome back. This is Cynthia Hyatt with Conversations with Cynthia. And we are talking today about this issue of peace and that worry and peace cannot coexist. And before I start this next segment, I want to encourage you always to look at my Facebook page. It's Cynthia Hyatt, Inc. I love it when you leave comments and there's great inspirational things on it and different you know, pictures and um, let you know what next show is coming or if I'm performing somewhere. You can also visit my uh, website, which is Cynthia Hyatt. Dot com And that's spelled C-I-N-T-H-I-A-H-I-E-T-T. So here we are talking about this, this concept that worry and peace cannot coexist. And we were talking at length about how um, the, what the effect of worry is on our brain and on our physical bodies, our souls, our spirit, our relationship. And so what, what we're seeing here is that neuroscience is catching up with the Bible finally. And it's really it's proving what God has been saying all along. And so God really knows what he's talking about. He's saying, do not worry. And we went over the chapter in uh, Matthew 6 that talked about you can't add a single hour to your life. 
And and so it's imperative that we are saying we need to take God seriously when he when he's telling us, I designed you. I'm the master designer. I'm telling you this damages the design. And so that's what they are finding is that um, much of what happens when you get into worry, that they're saying that one negative thought, the brain responds within one second and it sends all these chemicals and hormones that are producing stress. And so it, it affects and interrupts normal functioning of your brain, especially when it's involved with logic and reason and problem solving. And so it, it also can damage key structures that regulate your memory and feelings and emotions and, and even how your brain regulates happiness. So it even the more that you worry, the more you worry, because what you do is you're teaching the brain a skill. And so the more that you do it, the faster it gets at it, and the, and the more it's going to do that for you. So when, when I'm working with clients, one of the things I'm saying to them always is, you don't work for your brain. Your brain works for you. So we are teaching the brain. It's kind of like a smartphone, right? Many times my smartphone does stuff for me. I'm like, why did you do that? I, I don't want that. And so I'm teaching the phone the ways that I want things. That's what we would like it to be. And so we're wanting to understand that our brain is very able to learn, but we need to be responsible and in charge of what we're teaching it. So why do we not have peace? Peace in our homes, in our world, in ourselves, in our relationships. Even possibly we are not at peace with God. So are you at peace right now? Where are you not at peace? The Holy Spirit dwells within us to give us peace. How do countries stay at peace? Well, they are committed to keeping peace and they practice it. So when we are at peace with another country, do we sit around and worry about whether or not we're going to stay at peace? No, we continue to practice and be disciplined and do things that create peace. So it is with ourselves. It is with relationships. Because what we're wanting to do is we're wanting to relax. We're wanting the brain, the soul, the spirit to relax. The more relaxed our brain is, the better choices we make. The better we communicate our own unique being to the world around us. The better we are able to hear from God. The better we are able to connect with other people. When our brain is worried and fretting and stressed, we are now purely in survival. And when anyone's in survival mode, they don't make good choices. They make choices that are survival-based. So they're only trying to relieve pain. They're not actually able to do something that is creating a better life, a better way of living. And so when you're worrying and fretting, you're always behind the eight ball. That's what's happening, is that you never can really catch up to get peace because the worry creates more worry. So what I want you to think about is how committed to you are you to peace? And what we're going to talk about, what gets in the way of peace? So we have kind of two camps. We have a camp, camp A, which is holding on or having a spirit of fear. And so what we know about this is worry. That's carrying our own burdens. That's negative thinking. That's a lack of trust. That this is, this is a very common uh, place for people to be. This is where anxiety is rooted. This is where a lot of that, um, where we get an agitated depression that comes because we, we worry and worry and worry so much. That creates so much energy that we get depressed because it's tiring. And so then we have camp B, and this is being at war with the world, others are ourself. So this is wanting it my way, resisting God's will, making opinions more important than relationship, refusing to forgive, judgment, thinking I'm better than others. This is being at war with the external world because I'm not focused internally. So the worrier is very focused internally, but they're still focused on the external world and everything they're worrying about, but it still is more internal. 
And so the person that is at war, it is internal, but they're not as aware of it. They're more aware of everything outside that's not working the way that they want it to work, and they have no peace. And so both of them are rooted in some form of anxiety or worry because it's about me not having what I think I need. So what we are focusing on always is trust. So this is Cynthia Hyatt with Conversations with Cynthia. Join me in the next segment as we continue to look at this issue of peace and worry cannot coexist. Welcome back to Conversations with Cynthia. This is Cynthia Hyatt. And today we are talking about the issue of peace and why there is no peace. Why no peace? Why do I not have peace? And as you're listening to the show, I want you to be really looking and, and experiencing, asking for some insight from the Holy Spirit of where in your life you do not have peace and where that would be rooted and what is the, what is the dynamic that might be going on with you. What is it that I am worried about And so what am I fretting over? So again, worry and peace cannot coexist. So we were talking in the last hour about these two camps of not having peace. And the first one is the the worrying people. These are the, I'm holding on, I have a spirit of fear, I carry my own burdens, I have a lot of negative thinking and fretting, and it's also also a lack of trust. And the second one is that being at war with the world or or others or yourself. And this has a lot to do with um, judgment, being a person that's that's wanting their own way, that's not that's resisting God's will, that they make opinions more important than relationships, uh, a tendency to refuse forgiveness. These create um, it within you this inability to have peace. So both both of these are have the the same effect on the brain and our souls. They're both ways of living without peace, and and so they both have a form of worry and strife. So what we see in in John 16.33, it says, I have told you these things so that in me you would have peace. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. And so when we can't feel peace, many times what you might want to say to yourself is, I'm going to borrow from Jesus. Jesus has peace right now. So Jesus has peace, Jesus lives in me, therefore I have peace. And it helps to really just help tell your brain how to think differently. And so you take captive those worrying thoughts. You say, Jesus is a God of peace. Jesus is at peace right now. Jesus is peace. Jesus lives in me. Therefore, I have peace. So for me, that helps. And, and, and then I see in Philippians 4, 7, he says, the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Is that not amazing? Amazing. The peace of God which transcends all understanding will guard your hearts and minds. This is what those neuroscientists are telling us. That when we talked about the medical doctor that talked about the arteries, you know, that the arteries of our heart isn't as much of a problem as our attitudes. Because what we're seeing here in this verse is that God is saying, peace, you need peace. This guards your hearts. Not just our heart, which is a a spiritual issue, our soul. It guards our human body. Our bodies need to be at peace and it guards our minds because that's what we were learning is that when we are worrying, when we are not at peace, it damages our brains. So it says guards our hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. So what we're going back to is Jesus is at peace. Jesus lives in me. Therefore, I'm at peace. 
And so this is the peace of God that transcends all understanding. Now, I will tell you one of the reasons I have a tendency toward worry, because I want to understand everything. And this I, I have found peace Cynthia's way. Cynthia's way to peace is understanding everything, gaining as much information, understanding the whole entire thing, being able to predict and prepare uh, for whatever may or may not happen that I can imagine. So I, as you can tell, I have a very active mind. So I'm wanting to understand everything. And I want, and Cynthia's way to do that is to understand. That's how I find peace. So my insistence on understanding replaces my dependence on God and my trust in Jesus. Because then I enter into worry. Because I am now trusting my own understanding, which means I'm depending on me for things I cannot do or have any control over or adequate knowledge about. So this can quickly spiral into worrying and fretting, which is very unhealthy to my mind and body, which we discussed earlier. And furthermore, is very destructive to my relationship with God, others, and self. Because worry is a self-centered behavior. And I say that to you because I, I can do that. And, and I have to work on that. Because what worry starts to do is it becomes all about me. And I need to figure it all out. And I need to understand everything. And instead of being able to be relational, I'm now trapped in my own mind worrying. I'm also, like we had said earlier, not going to have good logic. Not, it's going to affect my memory. It's going to affect much of the way that my brain does reasoning. And I am not going to be able to make adult choices like I would like to. And so it's important that what happens is we, we are not, we, let me see if I can explain this. It's very destructive to my relationship with God. And if we are not careful, what, we'll begin to look for peace anywhere else but God. That's what I start to do, which means I go to the external world to find peace rather than the internal world where Jesus is. So in other words, we go outside ourselves. And many times that's drugs, alcohol, dreaming for more money, for power, wanting a relationship, getting obsessive about a relationship, obsessive about a job. Maybe if I had more, I had a better car or if I had more uh, notoriety or if I, you know, getting obsessed about our appearance, if our appearance. So we, we do, you know, all the different things we can to change our body and the way we look. And so this, the problem is, this is all this, is all this mentality. It's, it's, it's all in my head. And what happens then is I am no longer relational with anybody but myself. And that's not usually a good, that's not usually a good idea. That's not a great outcome. And so what you want to think about is the worry is always leading to the if only then. And if you remember, we talked about God wants us to focus on the what is, not the what ifs. The what ifs, that's God's world. That's not my world. That's his world because it's only the what ifs are my imagination. So I want you to think about what is your if only then? If only this, then I would be okay. If only this, then I would feel at peace. If only this, then I would feel secure. So how do I address and change this tendency to worry? Well, like we've been talking about, it's a choice. It's a cognitive decision to change the way I think. My mind is really the only thing I have control over. And so if you're anything like me, you probably have some difficult time controlling it. See, my mind has a mind of its own, which is a fascinating phenomenon that they're really understanding better. My mind has a mind of its own. And so what happens is I have to really decide how my brain works for me, not the other way around. I tell it how to think. I tell it what to think about. I challenge my thoughts. I don't just believe everything I think. Furthermore, I am willing to give my thoughts to Christ so that I can bring them into the light I can't have peace until I'm willing to speak or address my own truth. So what is true for you? What happens when I bring my thoughts and emotions into the light? 
Well, this is one of the things our brain does, which is fascinating. Really little things in my brain become really big. And really, really big things become really little. So when I talk about them, when I bring it out into the light and talk with a trusted person or converse even with the Lord, I start to just go, this is a really little thing. I'm making a big deal out of nothing. Or as I start to talk about it, I go, "Uh oh, this is a big deal. And I've been wanting to really make it little. So we see in 2 Corinthians 10.5, we demolish arguments, every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of Christ. And we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. So what you see is that we're not just talking about arguments that are against our faith, that are saying, you know, Jesus isn't Lord. We're, not ta- we're talking about more than that. We're talking about what goes on in our brains. The arguments, every pretension that sets itself up against what Jesus is telling us is true. And I have to take captive all of those thoughts and demolish them. All those arguments, I demolish them so that they are obedient to Christ. When my mind is obedient to Christ, I have peace. Always. The best way to have peace is that my mind is obedient to Christ. Because the more it is, the more I get the mind of Christ. And when I have the mind of Christ, I'm not going to worry. I will live at peace. So how do we stop worrying and trust? Well, this is a relational issue, a trust issue. And I remind myself frequently who I know God to be and what he has done for me in the past. I remind myself of the facts. What are the facts about God? And I ask myself, who has broken trust with me in the past? And I repent of carrying that into my relationship with Christ, reminding myself of my past experiences with him and the fact that he has never let me down. He's never failed me. Why would he start now? So I work on forgiving people that have broken trust with me so that I don't carry into my relationship with God or other people this issue of being an untrusting person. Now, that doesn't mean that I blithely trust everybody. that, That would not be wise. But it means I don't want to be an untrusting person. And so, especially with God, why would I not trust him? Now, there's a lot of reasons why he wouldn't trust me. That, that is true. And I'm so thankful that he continues to trust me. That's in the love chapter where we talk about that's how God loves us. He trusts. And so he trusts who he knows I am, who the real person is, the one that he created. That's who he's trusting. But the bigger issue is, I can trust God. Why would I not trust him? Why would I not trust him with my future when he has saved me so many times in the past? He has done so many things that could have been a disaster for me. He has saved me from them. He has also made things that were a disaster, a good thing. Any bad thing that has come my way, he has made a good thing come out of it. So he does more than I could hope for or imagine. Why would I not trust him? So I remind myself in 2 Timothy verse 1, 7, it says, For God did not give you a spirit of fear, but a spirit of power, a spirit of love, and of a sound mind. This is what God has given me. Another thing that can really help when we, when we are working on worry is, I worked with this with patients, and I've done this with myself, and it's very helpful, is I write a cares list. So instead of carrying those in my mind, those worries, those concerns, I, write th- I just write them down. Because what that does for my brain is now it doesn't have to worry about it anymore. Because it's, it's now listed. I can go refer to it and I can go pick it up at any time I'd like. So this helps a lot. I have some people that I have them do it all during the day. They just carry a little notebook. And they, any worry that they have, it doesn't have to be complete sentences. It can be one word that tells you what that was. It can be as small as, 
I don't like how that person responded to me. Maybe I made them mad or maybe I offended them or why didn't that person call me back? It can be as big as, oh my gosh, I thought I had more money in my account and now my checks are bouncing and what am I going to do? I'm going to have a lot of NSF on, you know, charges. It can be as big as I found out I have cancer. Okay, whatever the care is, we don't want to carry it. That's what harms our brain. It doesn't mean that we're not action-oriented about the what is. So I'm going to do everything. I'm going to call the bank. Immediately I'm going to work on it with them. But I'm not going to carry it with a what if. What if is, oh my gosh, and if I call them, they're not going to take my call, and what if they close my account? I'm not going to do all that. I'm going to deal with a what is, and I'm not going to carry the burden. So this is very important because it's the amount of thinking that stresses and damages the brain. It's the amount of the negative thinking about the what is. So you have to remember that your brain is an organ like any other organ in your body. It just has a very powerful function. But it can't live without the body. No matter how important the brain is, it cannot live without the body. But think about this. The body maybe can live without the brain. We have people that are brain dead. They're still alive, right? Their body is still functioning. So it's amazing to think about. It's very, very powerful, but not any more powerful or necessary really than any other organ in your body. So Matthew eleven twenty eight through 30. We're going to end with this verse. I love this verse. It says, Come unto me, all ye who are weary, heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. So I'm going to give you an example. How heavy is a glass of water? Maybe eight ounces? See, the absolute weight doesn't matter. It depends on how long I hold it. If I hold it for a minute, it's not really a problem. If I hold it for an hour, I'll have an ache in my arm. If I hold it for a day, you'd have to call the ambulance. So in each case, the weight is the same, but the longer I hold it, the heavier it becomes. We need to be casting our cares, our worries on the Lord and living at peace with ourself, with God, with others. So I want to encourage you to be casting your cares on God, to be really practicing how you let your brain think and teaching your brain how it is to think. I want you to remind yourself that Jesus is at peace. Jesus is peace. Jesus lives in me, so I am at peace. All through the day, we need to be practicing this and redirecting our minds because our minds are going to go wherever instincts lead it. That's what our brain is going to do. And so we are going to practice carrying those burdens to God and letting him worry about those. So thank you for joining me today. I hope this was a blessing to you, and I pray God's peace for your week. This is Cynthia Hyatt with Conversations with Cynthia. We hope this past hour has been encouraging, motivating, and inspiring to you. We'd like to remind listeners that this show isn't a replacement for professional counseling or therapy. The messages and teachings shared during the show are given as a way to reach listeners with ideas and insights about how to become your own best version. Cynthia is available as a keynote or guest speaker for corporate and spiritual events. To contact Cynthia, go to CynthiaHyatt.com. If you missed any part of this program, you can hear a replay anytime at KPXQ1360.com. Join us again next Sunday at 4 p.m. for Conversations with Cynthia on 1360 KPXQ.
three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.